It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Wednesday, January 17th, 2024. I'm Katherine Klusmeyer with Raven News. A judge has ordered former Juno chiropractor Jeffrey Fultz to find a new attorney or begin representing himself in two weeks. Fultz was first charged in 2021. He now faces accusations from more than a dozen people that he assaulted patients while he was a chiropractor for Southeast Alaska Regional Health Consortium. The case has seen long delays because of its complexity and the near-complete turnover of personnel working on it. Three alleged victims called into the hearing to say those delays have caused them harm. One asked Judge Joel Bolger to ensure the case would move forward as quickly as possible. She said the delay in the case, quote, not only prolongs my suffering, but the suffering of other victims and potentially endangers other people. In December, the state declared his defense attorney medically unable to continue, and there has been no lead investigator since the detective assigned to the case died in May. Bolger ordered Fultz to find new representation quickly to keep the case moving, but he's only hearing the case on a temporary basis. No judge is assigned to the case. Since posting bail, he has been living in Colorado. The next hearing is on January 24th at 3.30. Bolger ordered Fultz to appear in person. Petersburg's Borough Assembly will look at signing letters of support for fisheries across the state in the face of years of hardship. KFSK's Shelby Herbert reports. Petersburg's Borough Assembly will consider sending a letter to the state of Alaska requesting a disaster declaration for four southeast Alaska fisheries. Mayor Mark Jensen drafted the letter. It requests declarations for the northern southeast herring spawn on kelp fishery, the southeast herring gillnet fishery, and the southeast red king and golden king crab fisheries. The herring gillnet and red king crab fisheries haven't been open in years. Most spawn-on kelp fisheries remain closed, except for the one near Craig in southern southeast. The region's golden king crab fishery opens every February with very limited harvest goals. The draft letter claims the local fishing fleet is buckling from low salmon returns and prices from processors. It says it has, quote, stretched our commercial fishing fleet to the breaking point, with many boat owners unable to pay their crews their full share at the end of the salmon fishing season in 2023, end quote. The letter also laments state decisions to close certain fisheries for years on end or allow them to open at a very low catch level due to low stocks. The state has issued similar disaster declarations for 14 Alaska fisheries over the last six years, the letter says. If approved, the borough will send the signed disaster declaration request to Governor Mike Dunleavy. But the Assembly isn't just looking to the state to solve the Alaska seafood industry's woes. They'll also consider signing on to a resolution to ask the federal government for more help and consideration. The Pacific Seafood Processors Association and the United Fishermen of Alaska are compiling a list of suggestions to the federal government to help improve the global competitiveness and resilience of the Alaska commercial seafood industry. If the Assembly signs the resolution, the borough will send it off to the governor and U.S. Representative Mary Peltola, as well as U.S. Senators Lisa Murkowski and Dan Sullivan. Currently, Petersburg is not a member of United Fishermen of Alaska, and Mayor Jensen is asking the Assembly to consider joining the group. 
The organization's mission statement is to promote and protect the common interest of Alaska's commercial fishing industry, and it supports initiatives to promote quality standards, develop new fisheries, and increase efforts to market Alaska seafood. Annual membership will cost the borough $350. If the Assembly votes in favor of the resolution, Petersburg will join UFA's long list of community-supporting members across the Alaskan coast, which includes the Aleutians East Borough, the city of Cordova, the city of Huna, the city of Seward, and the Kodiak Island Borough. In Petersburg, I'm Shelby Herbert. Over the last decade, landslides in southeast Alaska have killed 11 people and caused millions of dollars in damage. For a long time, the state's capital city has been spared from deadly slides. That means few remember the devastating scene that unfolded on a stormy Sunday evening in November 1936. But as KTOO's Anna Canny reports, Juno's deadliest natural disaster is an important reference point as Alaska faces a future where landslides could become even more common. In a letter to his family, dated December 1936, George Webb wrote, Juno is built against a hill, not just a rolling land, but gigantic mountains of hard rock covered with shale and loose dirt. So that description is quite accurate. That's Sonia Nagorski. She's a professor of geology at the University of Alaska Southeast. The slopes around Juneau are all very steep. A lot of them are over 30, 35 degrees, and that is well beyond a threshold where slopes are prone to failure. Across southeast Alaska, entire neighborhoods have been built along steep slopes, and that makes the region vulnerable to deadly landslides. Over the last decade, slides in Sitka, Haines, and Wrangell have killed a total of 11 people. But for Juneau, it's been a long time. So long that 94-year-old Albert Shaw might be the only living Juneau resident who was downtown on the night of November 22, 1936, when a landslide killed 15 people. It was about 7.30 in the evening, and I remember it very well. Newspaper accounts say it was pouring rain that Sunday. It had been for weeks, but many people were warm and dry inside, sharing meals, playing cards, or getting ready for bed. Shaw was at his grandfather's house. We were reading, uh, my brothers and I, we were, I was probably looking at a picture book at six years of age, I doubt if I was reading, but in any case, all of a sudden the lights go out. He didn't know it at the time, but just a few blocks away, a neighborhood had been completely buried. The landslide interrupted the quiet evening with a deafening rumble. Lights flickered out, rooms began to twist and tilt, and furniture went flying as a sea of mud carried whole buildings down the mountain. The morning paper told stories of narrow escapes. Hillside residents jumped from windows to get to solid ground. People on the street below were pelted with stones and clumps of earth as they fled. The Alaska Daily Empire wrote, The mighty cascade of dirt and rock roared down the mountainside on its mission of death, sweeping all before it. In seconds, the slide engulfed a boarding house and two family homes. Shaw still remembers seeing the aftermath. The other structure was crushed up. It was an apartment building, literally crushed. The slide buried 23 people. Some made it out with bruises and broken bones. But when morning came, many were still missing. A 20-foot pile of churned earth and splintered timber was packed up against the cold storage building, close to where the cruise ship terminal stands today. An explosion in the crushed apartment building sparked fires that burned for hours, sending plumes of steam and smoke billowing up from underground. 
People circled in the rain, calling out for their loved ones. Shaw remembers that his father, a volunteer firefighter, joined the makeshift rescue crews. And they'd, they, they, they put some of the miners to work shoveling the muck, you know, because that's what it took. The more they dug, the more the death toll rose. Bodies were buried deep and badly battered. Most, it seemed, had been killed instantly. By Monday afternoon, the searchers had given up hope. Then, the pleading voice of three-year-old Lorraine Vanelli called out from beneath the mud. She was buried ten feet deep, pinned by a fallen beam in the apartment building. Dozens of frantic men swarmed the area with shovels. It took hours to reach her. The rescuers carried the toddler out with a broken arm, bad burns on her legs, and wide brown eyes. But she died at the hospital just two hours later. The next weekend, local churches held 15 funerals. Juno has changed a lot since 1936. The old neighborhood has since become the heart of the city's tourist district, but the conditions for deadly landslides remain the same. Nagorski, the geologist, said rain is the most common trigger for southeast slides. If we've had rain after rain after rainstorm after rainstorm, and then there's an especially heavy rain event with wind or other factors, then that can do the trick. And extreme heavy rainstorms are becoming more common because of human-caused climate change. Nagorski said that has the potential to make deadly landslides more common, too. Ultimately, it's impossible to say when the next deadly slide will happen in Juneau. So it's possible that a slope might not fail for the next several hundred years, or it might fail in the next atmospheric river. She says when it does happen, it's more likely to be in a place where slides have happened before. Shaw says he's never forgotten the site of the carnage on South Franklin Street. And of course, there's been nothing like that since, but... That gives you a false sense of security. As far as I'm concerned, we're very lucky, extremely lucky. But he worries that luck could change if Juno doesn't learn from its past. In Juno, I'm Anna Canny. Taking a look at our zone weather this morning for Wednesday, January 17th, 2024. Today's partly sunny with a high near 33 degrees. Northwest winds 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, mostly cloudy with a low around 25 degrees. Northeast winds around 10 miles per hour. On Thursday, sunny with a high near 29 degrees. East winds around 15 miles per hour. I'm Catherine Klusmeyer, and this has been Raven News. Good morning.